We're in a book of Ephesians. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, whether you've got a tablet or a phone or the actual paper book, um, we're in the book of Ephesians. We've been there for several weeks. And uh, what we've done is we've just examining this uh, book of Ephesians and we're looking at it uh, uh, kind of chapter by chapter. But we started off with predestined blessings because that's what Ephesians reveals to us, this book, predestined blessings. And then we went to together blessings and then growing blessings, connection blessings. And today we're going to talk about family blessings. And so we're going to look at the, the family. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a business meeting after church and we had a ballot and attached to that, uh, we asked a couple of questions like, how can we help you with uh, kind of family devotional type things? And then there was another question that said, what would you like Pastor Chris to teach on uh, on Sunday morning? What topics would you like for him to teach on? I think it was over 95% of the respondents said that we would like you to teach on Ephesians chapter 5's Wives Submit to Your Husbands. <laughs> I'm just doing what you asked for, okay? We're going, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. We'll get there in a few moments. And then next week, we're going to finish uh, with the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at uh, chapter number 6 and the armor of God. And uh, Martin Northcutt is going to be here next week, and he's going to be uh, dealing with that and preaching on that. Mark, so good because he's such a great preacher, and more importantly than that, he's a great friend. He and I spend time together and he uh, helps me. Maybe I help him, but I know he helps me. And I love it when he's preaching. He fills in for me many times when I'm out of town. But I'm so thankful I'll be here next week because I want to hear him deal with this topic of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to conclude that next week. So today, family blessings. I did want to start off with, with a, a, a humorous story. Are you ready for that? Okay, so there's a, there's a couple who's celebrating their 50th anniversary. They, they're just excited. They've got, the family is throwing a big party for them. Family and friends are all together. They're celebrating 50-year 50 50 anniversary. Well, it comes time when, they, when they, they've kind of asked the, the, the husband and wife to kind of share a little bit, a little nugget about each other or something nice. And so but at this point in time, though, the wife is a little bit hard of hearing at, at this age that she's at now. She, she has a little tough time hearing. So the, the husband gets up and he says, well, you know, he says many things, but then he says, well, you know, my dear wife, I want you to know after 50 years of marriage, I have found you tried and true. Oh, and everybody applauded what he said. Oh, that was just great. It was wonderful. But the wife looked a little puzzled. She said, what, what did you say? So he said it louder. He said, wife, I want you to know after 50 years of marriage, I have found you tried and true. Boy, her countenance just changed. She said, well, I want to tell you something. After 50 years of marriage, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> All right. In doing research and planning you know, on, on a message and dealing with the family, there's a lot of things to read about and talk about and all of those things. And I, I just came across something uh, that I thought I'd kind of read to you. It's about uh, the differences between men and women. And, and there are times when it's, it, it's kind of difficult because we, we need and want different things. Men want things, women want things. And sometimes it, it can be a little difficult. 
And it says, uh, what does a woman want? Well, a woman wants to be loved, to be listened to, to be desired, respected, needed, trusted, and sometimes a woman just wants to be held. But what do men want? Well, men want tickets for the World Series. We're kind of simple. Today, we're not going to dive into the differences between men and women per se, but to really look at what has God told us the structure of a family should be. I like this quote that Barbara Bush said. She was the first lady of the United States from 1989 to 1993, and she said this, at the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a friend, a child, or a parent. The very term family has gone under dramatic changes in definition and description over the past several decades, and it's ramping up faster and faster and higher and higher over the last few decades. It's important for us to remember as Christians that this is nothing new. This has happened before, and if time permitting, it will happen again. Where the definition of family and the description of what a family is goes through a metamorphosis when people take the reins of what a family is into their own control instead of allowing God to show us what a family is about. And those changes are happening quickly, and it has always in history ended in disaster in this will as well. But this is nothing new that we are dealing with. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So just as when we've been examining the book of Ephesians, we've tried to keep everything in the context of what was happening in that church. So the Apostle Paul goes to this city called Ephesus, starts a church there, and then he moves on. He's established elders in the church. And so he moves on and starts churches in other areas. And now he's writing a letter back to this church. But it helps for us to understand what was that church like? And the, the basic ingredients to this church was that these were a group of Jewish people and Gentile people who had both been saved by Christ, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and now suddenly they are drawn together because of Christ, which they had never been drawn together before. The Jews and the Gentiles basically tolerated each other and sometimes not too well. But now in this church where they're all saved, they're, they're, they've been brought together and they're trying to figure it out. And when we read the book of Ephesians, knowing that information helps us when we see that the Holy Spirit is writing about breaking down the barrier. He says, in Christ, the barrier between Jew and Gentile is broken down. And now we are one. The barrier between the haves and the have-nots, the educated and the uneducated, the rich, the poor, all of those things, he says, in Christ, they're just, that barrier is broken down and we're, you're united 
And we have a thing that we say here many times at Oak Crossings, what unites us is stronger than what could ever divide us. What unites us is stronger than what could ever divide us. And that's what Paul was writing about. And so when we look at what the Bible says in Ephesians about the family, it's important for us to keep it in context that this is God's plan for the family. Now, perhaps an atheist, someone who does not believe that there is a God, it would be very expected that they would have a different definition or description of what a family should be. Because they're, to that person, they don't believe there is a moral, absolute, ultimate, eternal authority. We're just all making it up as we go. And some people make it up better and some people don't. But it really doesn't matter because you just do your own thing. The atheist believes that you give no accountability to anyone except yourself and maybe to those who you've committed to. So here we see that people with different belief systems are going to have a different idea of what the family is. And as you talk to your friends and enemies and neighbors and everybody else, you see that the ideas and definitions and descriptions of the family are changing radically. But can we take family out of the context of God and not suffer, suffer detrimental consequences? The family is within the context of God. Have you ever had somebody, don't answer this question, but if, have you ever had someone take a statement that you made out of context? Well, it just makes you mad, doesn't it? Just, you just go, why, why'd they do that? Well, they have an agenda. They're trying to do something. They're trying to make you look a certain way or themselves a certain way. Well, in the same context, we can't take the family out of the context of God without ruining God's plan. In Ephesians chapter 5, you're there in Ephesians chapter 5. We're just going to take a quick look at verse number 6 and then move on to something else. Verse number 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now the word empty there means devoid of truth. He says, let no one deceive you with words that are devoid of truth. Because of that, God's wrath is coming on those who are in disobedience. And so we've got to know that what we're learning and what we're growing and what we're reading is words of truth. If we're going to listen to somebody about what is good for the family, we need to examine what they're saying. Is this words of truth or is it words devoid of truth? Where do we find truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, what David wrote in the Psalm 127 is what I, I really want to talk about for just a moment. We're going to get to Ephesians chapter 5. But Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Again, if we take the family out of the context of God, we ruin the family. We don't understand it. And here... The psalmist is writing, and he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, wait a minute. Who's building the house? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders are in vain. They're working in vain. Here we see this, this great description of building the family. Now, let's go back to a literal house, though. 
Now, if you had a piece of land, you had a piece of property, and you were going to build a house on it, and uh, you were to tell your friend, hey, I've got this piece of property, I'm going to build a house. And they were to ask you, well, who's going to build your house? You'd say, well, um, Billy and Johnny are going to clear it, and then uh, Jim and Wilbur, they're going to they're come in and pour the... You wouldn't name all the people, right? You'd say, I've hired John Smith or Carl Little. Or I've hired this guy to build the house. But the contractor that you hire probably is not going to cut one board, drive one nail, cut one pipe, run any wire because he's the general contractor. The general contractor, here's how they build a house, right? They, they, he brings all the people that are going to build the house there on one day. And he says, hey, guys, they've asked us to build a house here. He's hired me to build a house here. We're going to build a house. Okay? This is the land. I'm going on a trip for four months. I'll be back in four months. Y'all build a house. Is that how they do it? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? What does the builder do? He says, all right, here's the house. Here's the blueprint of the house. Here's how big it is. This is what it's going to look like when it's completed. These are how thick the walls are going to be. These are where the walls are going to be. This is what kind of siding we're going to use and what kind of roofing we're going to do. And the electrical and where all the outlets, everything's lined out in that blueprint. And the general contractor says, this is what we are going to build. And then everybody starts doing their part. That's what he's saying. God is the general contractor of your family, and you are the workers. God is the general contractor of Lisa and I's family, and we're the ones just busy doing the work. All we've got to do is stay connected to the general contractor. We do that through a blueprint and through a cell phone. God has given you a blueprint and a cell phone called prayer that you can build your family. Amen? That's what he's done. So when we have all these ideas about what the family is, we've got to go back to the author of the family and say, you tell me what the family is. That's where I'm going to get my information from. And you're going to tell me how to build it. And, and if I'm making a mistake, you're going to come along in your inspections and go, hey, 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 whoa, no, we got to change that. You made a mistake here. We don't have to tear down the building. We just need to fix the mistake. Okay, good. Now we're in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, it took us a while to get there, but we're there. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 21 on into chapter 6. Let's go for it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one 
ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Here we find at the chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, children, obey your parents. There's a promise connected to that. You're going to live a long life. You're going to be blessed. And then he says to the fathers, hey, don't frustrate your children. Don't provoke them. Don't, don't keep prodding them and making them irritated. Lead them. Guide them. There's that, that connection. It was a couple of years ago, uh, I sat down with my father and was visiting him, and we've just been having great conversations. My father turns 91 years old this year in July, and uh, so we were just sitting there talking, and my father has outlived everyone in his family. He's the last one living. None of his family members, grandparents, parents, brothers and sisters, and all of their spouses, none of them live to 90. So he's the longest living of all of his family. And I asked him, I said, Dad, what, I mean, why do you think that is? You know, why do you think you've outlived all of them? And I was expecting, you know, well, I've taken care of myself or I take vitamins or, you know, I was just. And he said, well, I don't know. But the only thing I can think of is I've always tried to honor my mother and my father. And I thought. Well, I obviously wasn't thinking biblically. I was thinking about, you know, Centrum for Men or something, you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, and someday I'll tell you the story uh, more about my dad and how he truly honored his parents through his life, not just as young, through his life. And he's in great health. He's doing great. He's wonderful. I talked to him uh, last week, doing great. I'll talk to him again this afternoon. Honor your father and your mother. It's going to go well for you. It works. It works. So, but let's go back to husbands and wives. Again, this is the, this is the scripture that 95% of you wanted to hear. So, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, that was a joke. Come on, guys, lighten up. All right. All right. So, first off, in verse 21, family blessings begin with submission. But here we find in verse number 21, what is the beginning of a blessed family, submit to one another. We're called to do that in the family and in the family of God, that we're called to submit to one another. That word submit is used, and when we talk about the Greek, we go back to the Greek, we do that because the New Testament was written in Greek, and so many times you want to go back to that original word just to get a little nuance of, of what God is really talking about here. So sometimes we go back to the Greek. And when you do that, you see that that word submit is used in other verses, Luke 2.5. Jesus was submissive to his parents, Luke 10. Demons are submissive to the disciples. Romans 8 says the carnal mind is not submissive to God. And in 1 Peter 5, the younger are to be submissive to the older. 
So it is in that context that we are looking at saying, wives, submit to your husbands, but we are to submit to one another. We're called to be people who are submissive to one another. And it has nothing to do with some hierarchy of position, but we submit to one another out of love and reverence for Christ and out of respect for one another. If you want to know if somebody uh, has respect for you, uh, you generally will see that in their level of submission when submission is called for. If they'll submit to you, if they'll, if they'll come alongside and, and take up arms with you, then you recognize that they have a respect for you. But let's dive into this verse number 22, uh, uh, 522, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, we don't need to go into all the history of that, where that verse has definitely been abused in the past uh, to where it, it's, you know, this, this mandate, wives, submit to your husband. Well, I went back into the Greek, and I, I, I looked at this a little bit further, and I, I have good news and bad news. The good news is, is that it really does say submit. The bad news is it really does say submit. Depends on, depends on who you are. Okay. So, we're, but we're not going to dive into that. It just, it just says submit, just like we're to submit to one another. But what, is, what, what I found very interesting is, is that this same phrase... Wives, submit to your own husband is found six times in Scripture. Six times. It's found in Titus 2, 1 Peter 3, twice, Ephesians 5, and Colossians 3, as well as Ephesians 5. So I thought that's, a, that's an unusual way of saying that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you submit to the Lord. That's an unusual way of saying that. So I was like, what, what's going on? So you go back and you look at the Greek, and it's interesting because in the Greek, it's only three words. Wives, submit to your own husband. But in the Greek, it's only three words. So submit to your own is one word in the Greek. It, the word is idios. I'm, I'm glad that the Greek word for husband isn't idios. But anyway, that's a whole other ballgame. <laughs> But, he's, but there's six times in, in the New Testament where he says this is important. But here's what's interesting is that here's, here's the, the way that thing is presented. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. So he's saying, wives, in the same way that you submit to the Lord, submit to your husband. And I just, I just love that because it's like God, the Lord, is not the dictator. He's not the heavy hand. He doesn't say it's my way or the highway. He just says, hey, this is the direction we're going in. Let's go. As a leader, he provides, and we're going to get into that. But, but he says, wives, as you submit to the Lord, that's how you submit to your husband. And we find that there's always the willingness and longing to submit on the wife's part when the husband's doing his part. Amen. That's good preaching. I would say to the men, give your wife something to submit to. Give her your focus. Give her your time. Give her your attention. Give her your education and your experience. Give her the understanding of your apology when you messed up. 
Give her something to submit to. Give her someone to submit to. Give her someone she's like, yeah, I'm submitting to him. Yes, I'm following him. Absolutely. He's out in front taking the bullets. He's my shield. He's the one that's taking the hits for me so that I can enjoy life, that I can raise our children, that I can be everything and flourish into everything that I'm supposed to be. He's the one taking the shots. Now, here's what it says about the husbands. He says to the husbands, he says, this is, this is what I want you to do, husbands. Just as Christ loved the church, that's how you're supposed to love your wife. Now, remember, he said, wives, as you submit to the Lord, that's how you submit to your wives. What if the Holy Spirit had inspired Paul to write, husbands, you know the way you love the Lord? That's the way you're supposed to love your wife. You ever thought about that? I'll be honest with you. Studying this is the first time I ever put that together. And I've been doing this a long time. It's like, the wives, we, already know how to submit, and then we just need to apply it in another area. But the but he doesn't say, husbands, the way you love your the Lord is the way you love your wife. He says, no, the way the Lord loves you, that's how you love your wife. And it's interesting, another word, a very important word. He says, as the Lord loves the church and gave himself for it, that's how you're supposed to love your wife. I, I find it interesting that he did not say, as the Lord loves the church and gave himself to the church. See, it's a different thing when you give yourself to someone. It's another thing when you give yourself for someone. There's difference there. The Lord gave himself for the church. The Lord gave himself for the birthing of the church, for the nourishment of the church, for the redemption of the church, for the building up of the church. And that's what husbands are supposed to love their wife like, the Lord loving the church and giving himself for the church, we are to give our lives for our wives. Jesus demonstrated this on the cross, paying the ultimate price of his literal body being just torn, being nailed to a cross and having all of his blood shed out so there'd be redemption for everyone. He gave himself for us, and that's the way husbands are to love their wives, by giving themselves for. That we take the bullets of this world, we take all, all, all that we can absorb in protecting our wife and allowing her to flourish into who she is created to be. When we look at this and we, we see the problem with Adam and Eve. Recently, I've been studying the book of Genesis and mainly those first three chapters. It's amazing uh, what, uh, what happened there. Of course, we know Adam and Eve are created perfect. They're put into a garden. God tells them one thing. He says, don't eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we don't know how much of a time period went by before this happened, but we know that uh, Eve submitted to a temptation there by the serpent. And so the Bible says she took the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband, and he ate it. And uh, immediately afterwards, of course, God you know, appears to them and goes, hey, man, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, what's going down? Unless something's wrong here, you know? And what does he, he's, God speaks to Adam. What does Adam do? <laughs> this wife you gave me. 
So then God says to Eve, what'd you do? She said, that serpent. See, there's this thing about passing the buck, right? They're like, we don't, we don't take responsibility. Just point the finger. Let's go. It's not my fault. Nothing's my fault. I'm just, I'm just, I want to present something to you. Now think about it for a moment. When Eve took that fruit and ate it, the Bible says she sinned. And God said in that day, you'll certainly die. There's a separation between God and Adam and Eve. Eve bit that fruit. In that moment, there was a change. She gave the fruit to Adam and he ate it. So there, the Bible tells us there's, there's a time frame, whether it was seconds or minutes, I, who cares? There was a time difference. What if Adam would have loved Eve like the Lord loves the church? What if Adam would have said, oh, no, no, I can't do that. No, 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 no. You, you have fallen. And if I take it, I'll fall. I'm not going to do that. Because then we're both messed up. But in that moment, in that situation, Adam could have then gone to God and said, God, my wife has sinned, and I want you to substitute her death and give it to me. Adam was perfect. There was no, there was no sin in him at all. He could have said, God, I want to give my, I want to lay down my life for my wife so that she can be redeemed. Just as death could not have held Jesus down, death could not have held Adam down because there was no sin in Adam. Men, that's the way we're to love our wives. Now, I know that's a heavy thing, right? That's a heavy thing. Do I fail? Yes. Do you fail? Yes. But we're not failing like we used to fail because we've learned our lesson and we're growing and we're becoming better, right? Sure, we're going to make mistakes. But the, but the goal and what we're supposed to do is to love our wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. In order for our marriages to become the best that they can possibly become, We've got to do what God's called us to do. And that means we've got to give. We've got to submit to one another, and we've got to give. Um, I've never been to California, but uh, I understand there's a place out there called the Death Valley. It's below sea level. It's one of the hottest places on the planet. It's incredible. And here's a picture of, of Death Valley um, normally. And uh, nothing grows there. Duh. But... There are some places of Death Valley that get just a little bit of rain and, and flowers will bloom there at certain times of the year. But every once in a while, like what happened in 2017 on September 11th, there was a tremendous rain that came to Death Valley. It's unusual, but it happened. And uh, once, once these things happened and that rain came to Death Valley, uh, a number of weeks later, this is what Death Valley looked like. They call it a super bloom, okay? So what does that tell us? The seeds were in the soil. They just needed water. 
I want you to tell you something. There are seeds of greatness in your family. It just needs some water. And so it is your responsibility to say, okay, I'm going to, husbands, I'm going to water my wife. I'm going to nourish her. I'm going to cherish her. I'm going to take care of her. And she's going to blossom into the woman that she is to be. And then wives say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let... I'm going to let my husband think he's in charge. I'm going to submit to him. <laughs> Wives, we know who runs the family. It's the dog. <laughs> the dog runs the family. Whatever the dog wants, the dog gets. We'll sleep on the bed. Come on up, honey. Come here. Dog gets on the bed, on the couch. Kitchen table, I guess. I don't know. Oh, those are cats. Sorry. The seeds of greatness are in your family. You just got to water it. You just got to water it. That's our job. Let the general contractor make the seed, plant the seed. Just water the seed. And what will happen is you'll get something beautiful and powerful. Now, today, I think um, we talk about the family. We can just feel very weighted down and think, oh, man, I keep making mistakes or I keep blowing it and I can't, oh, man. I just want to, today, I think God is going to just lift the weight off of your shoulders. For every mistake you've ever made as a husband or as a wife, God's just lifting that weight off of your shoulders and saying, listen, it's okay. We all make mistakes. You make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes. And God says, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to, to take that sin off of you, to take those mistakes and all the guilt of it off of you. And I want you to know, you're not the general contractor of your family. Let God be the general contractor. We just run the HVAC or the electrical, the plumbing, or we build the walls or whatever our job is, we do that and let God build the house. He's the general contractor. We just got to do the blueprint, okay? But even in that, we make mistakes. God's here to say, I'm, I'm here to lift that off of you, amen? Mike is going to come. We're going to have some... Uh, some time of worship and singing, but this is a time of prayer to where I think God's wanting to, to restore um, not families, but even restore what he's called us to do and to not be burdened down with the responsibility of a wife, burdened down with the responsibility of a husband, burdened down. God doesn't want us to walk through life with this, this burden that just bends us over. He says, my yoke is easy and my yoke is light. It fits well. It fits well. And, it, and it's not a burden that bends you over. It's something you go, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. I think God today is saying to you, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. I've redeemed your life, and I've put within you everything you need for life and godliness. We just got to work it out. We just got to work it out. Amen? How many of you today would say, you know what? Man, I, I've been feeling the weight of this husband stuff or this wife stuff, and I feel like, man, am I ever going to get it right? And, well, man, is my family going to be destroyed or turn out okay? Are my children going to be bank robbers or something? You know, it's like, what, what's going to happen? And God is wanting to reassure you. Just let him be the general contractor. Do, do the stuff he tells you to do. It's going to turn out great. It's going to turn out great because he's the builder of the house. He's the builder of the house. When somebody looks at your house and they say, wow, that's a great looking house. You, you live in a really nice house. Who built that house? 
Again, you don't talk about all the people that had a part in it. You say, John Smith built our house or whoever. You just talk. When people look at your family, say, wow, man, look at that family. Wow. How'd you do that? God's the general contractor. God did that. We just did the stuff. He's the builder. How many of you would say, you know what? That's, that's, the, that's the recipe I can follow. That's a blueprint I want to participate in. Let him make the big decisions. I just do the stuff. You say, that's cool. I can do that. Here's what I want us to do is have a time of prayer for families. If you're a husband or a wife here today, I'm going to ask you to stand up if you would, please. I want you to stand up if you're a husband or wife. And if at all possible, if you can be, you know, obviously with your spouse. We do not uh, do a lot of prescription here at Hope Crossings. Um, So it's not like I'm going to tell you, you know, husbands, pray over your wife right now. Pray out loud. I'm not going to do that. I am going to ask you to pray together as husband and wife. You pray out loud or you can pray silently. That's up to you. We're not going to be prescriptive like that. But I want us just to pray together as a family. And you might say, well, that's really awkward for me. It's like, oh, man. Just close your eyes and pray. Okay? But the deal is that we're praying for one another. If you want to pray out loud, pray out loud. I'm, I'm, we're cool with that. But that is to pray together and say, God, we want to do this your way. We relinquish general contractorship back to you. We're relinquishing that back to you. And now, God, we're just the workers. We're just the workers. And so, Lord, help us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.